Welcome to the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. And I'm Adam Vingan on Twitter at Adam Vingan. Socially distanced this week. Of course, please rate, review, and subscribe to the show. We do appreciate it. Please share and tell one person about the show. It, it means the world to us. Also, subscribe to Good Journalism at The Athletic. You can, of course, go there. You got all kinds of really great stuff at The Athletic. Uh, in fact, I think The Athletic is who broke the story that the Predators game is getting got canceled on Tuesday night. So uh, we will get to that momentarily. I will say, Adam, before we get started, because we've got a lot of games to look at. We've got three games, one less than we expected. We've got another whole chunk of games to look at coming up this weekend and some roster stuff. What did we learn? All this good stuff. However, we do have an announcement coming up next week on the show. So just want to, I just want to float that out there. Announcement. I do love a good announcement. Yes. So next week on the show, an announcement is coming of some sort. That's all. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, all right. Before we get into what we learned from the first three games of the season, and before we look ahead to the rest of the schedule coming up this weekend, we have to start with the fact that COVID took all of three games to affect the Nashville Predators. It took less than that to affect the Dallas Stars. I think they were they got their first game postponed. Um, and now, of course, Tuesday evening, the game gets canceled with Carolina. Depending on when you're hearing this, the league has said that they will let us know whenever it gets rescheduled. You know, I, I guess I'm not surprised, Adam, that it that it only took three games for the Predators to get affected. It was not a Predators player, supposedly. It was three Carolina Hurricanes. And then I think a, a fourth false positive. But are you surprised at all that it, that it that after three games we've already seen a game get get pushed back by for the Predators? No, because I expected this to happen as we all probably did. And and to your point about the Dallas Stars, you know their first I believe four games were postponed, and that was even before the season started. So this is the first time this season that a game has been postponed following a game uh, between the Hurricanes and the Predators, um, if that makes any sense. Um, so the league keeps a daily, a daily, has a daily tracker of players who end up on their, what they call their COVID-19 related absence list. I think that's right. Um, COVID protocol related absences. And that can mean many things. So for example, the only Predators player who is currently on that list is Mikhail Granlund. And we know Mikhail Granlund is on that list. We, we know that Mikhail Granlund is on that list, excuse me, because he is quarantining after arriving late to Nashville from Finland. And as we've previously discussed, you know, the, the protocol set forth by the NHL is that Players who travel have to undergo a seven-day self-quarantine period and produce four negative COVID-19 tests during that time before they are eligible to join team activities. So that's what Mikhail Granlund has been going through over the past several days. That's why he's on that list. Entering the game last night, only one player for the Hurricanes was on the COVID protocol-related absences list. That was Jordan Stahl. Uh, the new list came out within the past hour, it has now uh, ballooned from one to five with Warren Fogle, Jer Jordan Martinook, Jacob Slavin, and Tavo Teravainen being added to the list. Um, and there has been reporting by The Athletic um, and other places that those players, at least some of them, have tested positive for COVID-19. Um, so it is, you know, my from my understanding, uh, at least as of this morning, 
was that no Predators players had tested positive for COVID-19. And the fact that no Predators players have ended up on this list seems to confirm that. Now, of course, we know that coronavirus can change. Uh, so they might have players end up on that list eventually. But as of now, there are no Predators players who are suffering from coronavirus or coronavirus-related absences. Um, so that is good news for the Predators. But I think the larger lesson here is, and that's, and those are important lists to keep an eye on throughout the course of the year, but the larger lesson is, is that this was never going to happen in, in a perfect way. We, we had The NHL had to be ready for this. They, they are. They were. We'll see how much it happens. I think in the NFL, we saw it happen maybe you know people freaked out when it first started happening and then we had a mishap sort of in the middle of the year but by and large the rest of the season got you know kind of executed the way it was supposed to they will they the predators right now as of the taping of this podcast are scheduled to play friday at 7 30 against dallas on the road and then sunday at dallas in their two game set there then tuesday and wednesday against chicago so we will be talking about those three games later on in the show but i mean are we concerned that that anything could happen with those games now? Because again, at any moment, they could just announce two or three predators have tested positive. Yeah, well, hopefully they they remain safe and they are scheduled to practice tomorrow, Wednesday morning. Um, so that is a good sign. Um, the fact that no, of course we know that coronavirus tests take a little while to, you know, to, what's the word I'm looking Mat- for? Matriculate. Yes. For conclusive results to be determined. How about that? Um, So just because no players are on the list as of Tuesday afternoon doesn't mean that that list will grow, will not grow, you know, over the course of the coming days. But as, but as of now, there seems to be no reason to believe that those games in Dallas won't be played. Um, I think Dallas has been practicing um, over the past several days. I believe media which has been uh, prohibited from attending those practices is now allowed to attend those practices or will be allowed to attend those practices as of Wednesday. Uh, So that's also a good sign that people are being allowed back into their practice facility. So at at this moment, as of late Tuesday afternoon, we have no reason to believe that those games in Dallas will not be played. Just, Uh, you know, just one glance at the standings is all you need to know after four or five days we have one team that's played zero games, one team that's played one, and a bunch of teams that have played three. <laughs> yeah. so, so it's just, just, yeah. just this is what you have to get ready to deal with. Is this is what this is going season, to happen? It's yeah. going to happen. This is what this season is going to be. So we will get to what the the schedule is coming up for this team uh, in just a little bit. We mentioned a couple with Dallas coming up this weekend. You've got a pair with Chicago uh, coming up, of course. Uh, I believe Tuesday and Wednesday of next week. So we will be covering next week on the show the Tuesday game. Um, when the pod comes out again every Wednesday morning. So let, let's get to the first three games of what we saw, though. And let, we got to start with opening night because it's sort of its own beast altogether. We can talk about what we, what we saw on the ice, and we will. But, <laughs> Adam, I, I, I took a photo during warm-ups and tweeted it out, and I just said, this is weird as shit. And I think your tweet in the first two minutes of the game was, this is weird as shit. Yes, it, it was. It was one of the, like, it's one thing to go to a soccer game. I went to see Nashville SC in the playoffs. There was like 3000 people there. The, you know, there's soccer sort of a constant flow. It's kind of a quiet sport anyway. Didn't bother. didn't feel weird. The, the, it felt stark in that building. The difference between in between play when the whistle blew Pekka Rene wasn't in net just to top it all off. 
it was one of the weirdest opening. I was walking through downtown. It was dead silent, which is what I expected, but it still was jarring to see the, the arena empty, to see downtown empty, and then to be able to hear the players in the last row of the 300 level during the game. It's the most memorable opening night I think I'll ever have in, in my career. I don't know about you. Well, for me, <laughs> the thing that hammered it all home was when the catfish with the mask uh, was thrown onto the <laughs> ice. I could hear the thud of the fish hitting the ice from the right. press box. That's, that's how quiet it was in the building. And, and, and as everybody listening to this podcast knows, opening night for the Predators, like most things in Nashville, is an event. There's the, the gold carpet, as they call it. The players arrive in their spiffy suits and take selfies with fans. And there, there's a lot of pomp and circumstance around opening night. You know, player introductions. There's always a, a, a sellout crowd, very loud. And none of that happened. The plaza was empty um, and, and dark. Uh, you know, Broadway has been what it has, you know, what it's been over the past several months. I mean, you could still hear the music and the bands playing from the honky tonks, but there weren't a lot of people on the street. I didn't notice any Predators sweaters or jerseys, you know, on the street, which, you know, usually you would see, you know, that's all you would see. Um, you know, I understand that the, that the team is doing everything it can to, to maintain as much normalcy as possible in its in-game presentation. Um, in terms of the scoreboard videos and the music and the inter intermission entertainment. They started they started piping in sound in the second period of the first game. It was pretty subtle, but I actually think it was much better. I, I, thought, I thought it was a, a drastic improvement because it was so deadly silent during play in the first period. I was totally thrown off, man. Yeah, it, w it was really weird just because you know, that was my first game a first live game, you know, since March, because I, I did not attend any of the postseason games, you know, so to see, to see that environment in person for the first time was quite odd. Um, it wasn't as, it wasn't as stark on Monday, just because I had been, you know, I got used to it um, over the weekend. Um, but yeah, it was, it was very weird, um, you know, like during intermission, you know, we stepped out into the 300 level concourse where the media lounge is over by section 311, 312. And usually you have to fight a wave of people walking in either direction, getting food, going to the restroom, and there was nobody there. Um, it was just very, it was very peculiar. Um, hopefully in the coming months, they'll be able to introduce fans into the building. Um, as was reported early on in the process, the predators were actually approved for 15% capacity for January games, they made the choice, the smart choice, in my opinion, not to have any fans in the building. And I think what you'll see is what you saw from the Titans. Now, of course, I know it's different because Nissan Stadium is outside and bigger, of course, but you're going to see a, sort of a ramping up of attendance. So let's just say, for example, in February, they're given 15% capacity again. It's not, they're not going to open the doors to 15% immediately. You know, it might be 5% and then 7% and then 9%, you know, there, it will, it will be incremental. Um, so hopefully starting in February, fans will be allowed to attend the games. How are people watching the games, Adam? I've oh, seen that's you, a good I've, question. I've seen you, um, I've seen you tweeting about this a bit. Well, I, I was unable to attend the game on Saturday, um, but I watched it. <laughs> Here's how I watched it. 
I have NHL TV, which is the NHL's streaming package. And, and as with most things, um, they have blackouts in local markets. So my Google Chrome has an extension for, VP, for a VPN. So I told my, my, my Google Chrome I was in Canada and then was able to watch the game <laughs> on my computer. Uh, so, but I would rather not have to do that every time. Um, but I feel, like know, Google, I feel like Google will catch up to you eventually. Well, it's a Google Chrome. It's a Google Chrome extension. So they they offered it. I mean, it wasn't like some weird thing on the black web or the dark web. It was, it was, it was there for. To, I mean, I've had it for a while because sometimes I like to watch news reports from Canada, hockey reports from Canada that, that aren't normally available in the U.S. So um, wh- where are you getting the most complaints on that issue right now? Is it just? Is it like what is it? Dish Network or? Well, the streaming, people, the streaming, people, the streaming, yeah, it's the streaming, it's the streaming. I mean, a lot of people said that I, I sent out a tweet on opening night shortly after puck drop just saying, how are you watching the game tonight? And I got like 60 responses and a lot of them, some of them were, you know, I, you know, I'm watching it on direct TV, you know, which, which still has Fox sports, Tennessee or Xfinity, which still has Fox sports, Tennessee. You know, some people were saying, you know, I can't watch it you know, because I have YouTube TV or I have Hulu plus live TV or, you know, people were saying, no, I'm definitely not watching an illegal stream right now. Wink, wink. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, it, it, it is difficult. And look, there, there's nothing that the predators can do about it. I mean, we talked about this last time, I think it's out of their hands. You know, they don't have a say in this right. negotiation between Sinclair broadcast group and Fox sports you know, regional networks and, and all of these streaming services. Um, but, you know, f- for me personally, I have YouTube TV, but I have Xfinity internet. So I'm considering dropping YouTube TV and just adding Xfinity cable so yep. that I can watch the games, which I would rather not want, which I would rather not do because I, I, I like YouTube TV, but I might not have a choice. Yep. Um, so, yep. Well, just another, just another added to the list of uh, weird, bizarre things that's happening in the start of the season. All right. How about we talk about what happened on the ice in the first three games of the season? Sure. And we're going to get into some details. We'll get into some line combinations. We'll get into some stats and metrics and all this good stuff. But one of the big takeaways I have from the first three games as a chunk of data that we are going to analyze is that while, and I think you use this, the term nice team win for the opening night win and I want to get you to describe that a little bit further. But they have fallen behind in all three games. And so while there's lots of good stuff that I want to talk about, UC Saros, the new faces, secondary scoring, blah, 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 blah. All that's going to be stuff we cover. But number one for me is you have fallen behind in all three games. How sustainable is that model? It's great that you came from behind and got a win in game one. It's great that you scored four goals in the second in the third period of game two. And that's that's wonderful that you showed that great fight. Is there a bigger takeaway from the first three games than maybe that one? Or am I just putting too much emphasis on the fact that teams started faster than them and that they fell behind early? Well, that stood out to me in the first period. Oh, excuse me, in the first game, rather, on Thursday. You know, to put this into perspective, as you said, the Predators uh, have trailed first in all three games and they have a two and one record, of course. But they won both games against Columbus uh, despite allowing the first goal. That's a quarter of the way to their win total from all of last season when allowing the first goal, they were eight 20 and four last season when allowing the first goal, which was one of the worst records in the NHL in that particular, uh, in that particular situation. 
so that's a positive. You know, when I, the, the play I always go back to is the play that led to Boone Jenner's goal in the first game. You know, Dante Favreau had the puck near center ice, and I think he was trying to chip it up, and it it hit Boone Jenner right in the in the shin pad or the leg or whatever, and, and it sprung Jenner on a breakaway. You know, last year's team that would to me if that would have if I if last year's team would have done that, the game would have been over. Like they would have folded. They would have folded the proverbial tent. The fact that they were able to shake it off and they got better too, as the game went on. Um, I, I think you could say that about both games, but especially the first game, you know, a lot of times you would hear the predators say last year, Oh, we got off to a good start. We didn't capitalize on our chances. They scored first. We, we were chasing the game for a lot of it. You know, we, we got a, we had a push near the end, but it wasn't enough. They, they were able to tie the game and they kept their foot on the gas to use the cliche. You know, they were really good in the third period on, on, on Thursday. And of course, on Saturday, they scored four goals in the third period. Um, but the fact that, A, they continued to get better as the game progressed. And B, when faced with a little adversity, even though it was just the first, you know, the first game of the season, they didn't, <laughs> they, they didn't, they didn't, you know, shrink. <laughs> the bar's just, not set, the bar's not set very high that if we're saying, oh, they didn't wilt right. under pressure in the first period of the first game of the season. Well, what I'm saying is like, if that, if that exact play would have happened last year, you could I agree start, with you. You could have started I, writing your game stories that they, I, that they were going to lose. I, I don't disagree with you. I, I think you're right. There is, there is some intestinal fortitude in both of those wins against Columbus, especially the way they exploded in the third period um uh, against against Columbus on on Saturday my my so it's not sustainable you, no you, can't, you don't you, want to fall behind all the time <laughs> no that's not uh, a good way to win so did did you I, I guess my first I'll just continue to throw observations at you then because I think the biggest the question I have about the first two games in particular because Pecorini of course played in game three if you see Soros, and I know I'm more of a believer in UC Soros than you are, in theory, of the two of us, uh, if UC Soros is going to blossom into a bona fide star goaltender, I'm not saying top five, but let, let's say top 10, I, I think it's okay to change the expectations on this team. Now, he got two phenomenal plays from Ekholm, I believe, in game one and Ellis in game two, mm -hmm. but by and large, UC Soros was excellent in the first two games. If yeah. he is going to play like that for the entire season, is it time to amp up expectations a tiny notch, just a, just one notch? Maybe. And, and the one thing about the goaltending situation that is interesting to me is, you know, the Predators were quick to label UC Soros and Pecorine as 1A, 1B. And, and, and I get that idea, especially in this sort of season. You're going to need, you're going to need your goal, you're going to need two goaltenders more than you normally would. Um, at least in terms of how you disperse the starts. But you also have to keep in mind that UC Saros is in a pretty, he's in a pretty critical moment of his early, of his, in the early stages of his career. Because, you know, we know what, we know what Pekka is. We know what Pekka, we know that Pekka is near the end of his career. And that isn't to say that Pekka will not be important to the team's success this year. But if I were in charge, I would be putting more. I would I I would be putting more on UC's plate, because you need to see if UC is ready to be that replacement. You know, we did we talked. I think we talked about this last time. The goalie tier story that my colleague Craig Custance did, and and one of the coaches that Craig talked to said of UC Soros that 
you know, he's been given the ball several times, but he hasn't run with it yet. Now, some of that is just because of, you know, Pecorine being there, but like you need to allow UC Soros to as much as possible have a starter's workload in this season, because it's going to matter down the road because, you know, Pekka might not be there next year and you need to be confident that UC Soros can, can hold the fort, so to speak, you know, at least in the short term, we've talked about Connor Ingram. We've talked about Yaroslav Askarov, but in the, in the short term, you need to make sure that UC Soros can be a, a bona fide starting goaltender in the NHL. And by splitting starts, I don't think you're going to do that. So to answer your question, if UC Soros is going to play like that for the for the majority of the season, then sure. I mean, goaltending always helps. I mean, I, I have said on this podcast in the early days of this podcast that UC Soros was basically single-handedly responsible for getting the team into the playoffs last year when you look at his numbers in the second half of the season. So you need you need him to do that again, for sure. Yeah, and I don't, you know, in a game that felt pretty sloppy, it looked like two teams that had like, you know, I don't know, 10 days to prepare um, with like seven new starters, especially with facing a Tortorella team that's not a good team to play. I think like that's a team that's based on, it's not overly talented, but it's based on energy and effort and, you know, the whole, the whole Tortorella thing. And that's, that's probably not a good team to start with if you're breaking in an entirely new roster in a very shortened training camp. But they got two W's. They picked up four points. Um, I, I think number two on the list for me, and I know people want to talk about Forsberg, but he's not one or two. To, to me, the, the I, I don't know what it's called. I, you know, I don't like juice or jam or energy or whatever, but uh, the old Predators way, whatever you want to call it, of the new faces. I mean, Luke Cunning, it's not about him scoring goals every night. That's not a reasonable expectation. And I'm not going to do radio hot take here. How many goals will Luke Cunning score? That's not the point. The point is how it happened. He was standing in front of the net the whole game. He had a third goal that maybe could have been called a goal called back uh, because probably it had to be called that way. But I'm looking at these guys. I'm looking at Nick Cousins line. I'm, I'm looking at Hala. Eric Hala is, is playing with juice around the net. Like these guys we we knew the new faces had to contribute. And I would say through the first three games, it, it's been nice to see them produce the way they've produced, in, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, you want, of course, you want a return. It's important that you get a return on your investment from your new players right away. Um, and you, I think you saw that throughout the lineup. You know, Luke Cunning, of course, scored two goals um, and looked good. Um, Eric Halla, I thought, looked solid. He he made a really great play to lead to one of Luke's goals. I think that was the goal on Thursday. So he's a big fan of finishing, you would say. Oh, God. Too many fans. <laughs> too many fans. Um, oh, come on. Uh, I've heard that one one too many times. All right, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, Not for me, sir. <laughs> I mean, I, I think the, the third pair of uh, of Mark Borowiecki and Matt Benning deserves a, a good amount of praise. Look, when, when you have a third pair, the expectations for a third defensive pair in the NHL is just not to screw up. Like, you're not going to get a ton of playing time. Just don't screw up. And watching them on the ice, like, you didn't get that sense of impending doom that you did when <laughs> Yannick Weber and Matt Irwin were on the ice in the past. Um, so I, I think that get, I, you know, I would give them two thumb, two enthusiastic thumbs up. 
Well, and I, I almost want to separate those two, like the new forwards and the new defensemen, because I, I think you, I need to see, obviously I need to see a lot more data from some of these new faces in the forward group to be, before I can make any definitive statements. But I do feel comfortable making a definitive statement about the third defense pairing, which is that they are a clear upgrade on last year, which we talked about before the season. And we sort of knew going into the year that there is an investment there financially. But, but if, and I think it hinges on Dante Fabro now, if Dante Fabro develops and has a, and takes a step in his progress as far as experience and becoming a better player, that to me is what's going to say whether or not this is one through six, the best defense group we've ever seen in Nashville. Because th- that third pair is the best pair I've ever seen. Like, I don't remember if do you have a better third pairing that, that's played for the Predators and not in recent memory. And so I think I feel- what I've said, I think what I've said when we've had this conversation in the past is that it's the best third pair since Seth Jones had to be on the third pair. Um, yeah, yeah, that's true. When it was, I, I don't even know who his defensive partner would have been. God, I have to go back and look at like the 20, the, the 2015 16 roster. Um, in, you know, from the first half of that season. Um, but you, yeah. you, look that, you look that up because it looks like you're already doing that. Yes. I, I am going to, I, what I would say is there are things we, like UC Soros conversation we just had. It's, it's, you have to clear your throat and say, if he can keep doing it. You look at Luke Cunning scoring and you say, if he can keep getting to the dirty areas, I like what I see. I don't think I need to add that qualifier to Borvietsky and Benning. I think I can say after three games, that it is a significant upgrade over last year and will and will be a I don't want to call it like a strength of the team but will be like you said it's just something we don't have to worry about and is better than it's been in recent memory. I feel already comfortable saying that after 3 games. So to answer my own question, I think the third pair, oh I I I had found a story from myself from the Tennessee and from 2015, the third pair was Barrett Jackman and Seth Jones. <laughs> so that to me, so Borowiecki and Benning is to me the best third pairing this team has had since Barrett Jackman and Seth Jones were on the third right. pair in the early portion of the 2015-16. All right. Fair, fair enough. It was it would have been Roman Yossi and Shea Weber, Matthias Eckelman, Ryan Ellis, Barrett Jackman, and Seth Jones. Does my my point make sense? Excellent research by you, finding yeah. your own stories, by the way. Um, do, does that make sense though that we can talk about a lot of things, Philip Forsberg scoring. We can talk about a lot of things that we saw in the first three games, but all of that sort of comes with a qualifier of if it continues, I don't think we need to do that with the third to pair third line defense pairing. I think they're already I think we already know what we got, that they're pretty darn good and they're way better than last year. Yeah. I mean, I, I think when it comes to everything else there, the, the, the jury is still out. And the jury is still out too. I mean, the defense, as soon as we have this conversation, the third pair could suck for a couple of games and then we look like fools, but you know, I'm not, I'm confident that that's not going to happen. So, I mean, of all of the things I've seen that I'm the most confident in saying, yep, that looks pretty darn good. I would say the Borvietsky Benning combo is yep. top, top of that list. So let's talk second and third line before we talk top line. Um, largely Nick Cousins, along with Colton Sissons uh, and Rocco Grimaldi. Grimaldi's gotten on the scoreboard already. I thought that line had a lot of energy, man. I think it's played fairly well. Um, you can you can shoot that down with some metrics if you want to. You know, Halla, Duchesne, and uh, without Granlin, of course, on the top line, Cunning. Cunning, by the way, side note, which I know you love, have an expression at any point. <laughs> like, 
it, it feels like Luke Cunning has no uh, emotional response to anything. Like, <laughs> he just, and it's not a knock on him. I, I love guys who have no pulse. It make, it means they're good in clutch situations. But like they won that game on Saturday night, and I feel like he just came out and was like, "Hey guys, what's up?" <laughs> he just doesn't. He doesn't feel like he's got a ton of emotion, which again is not a knock. It's just sort of an observation and and, and sidebar. Yes, and sidebar. So to end to 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 bring up your metric conversation. So there are currently because we of course it's only a small sample. There are four combinations that have played at least ten minutes uh, for the Predators. Um, in this order, of course, Forsberg, Johansson, and Arvidsson at number one in terms of minutes played. Then Halladushin and Cunning, Cousins, Sissons, and Grimaldi, Yarn Croak, Richardson, and Matthew Olivier. So through three games, Cousins, Sissons, and Grimaldi have a expected goal percentage of 63.6%, according to moneypuck.com, um, which is a fancy way of saying that they've done a really great job of creating quality versus the quality that they're giving up when they're on the ice. Um, and, and Grimaldi was a part of a line last season with Craig Smith and Nick Bonino that was also near the top of the league in both expected goals and actual goal percentage. Um, the, the, it's funny, the, the second line, the Duchesne line, is actually the worst among the four lines in terms of expected goal percentage. The, the Sissons line is number one at 63.6%. The Johansson line is set. Actually, let me re, let me start that again. The Richardson line is number one with an eighty percent expected goal percentage, um, followed by the Sissons line at sixty three point six, Johansson's line at fifty five point six, and Duchesne's line at thirty three point three. Which means that the Duchesne line is not. It's they're not creating a ton of quality. Now, if you look at actual goals scored. Uh, they have uh, they they've they've allowed a goal and they scored a goal, so they have a fifty percent goals for percentage. Um, so they are underperforming. Um, excuse, well, actually, they would be overperforming. Um, so their numbers, their fancy stats, have not been great through three games, but it's a very small sample. I, I tell you, what's funny about Brad? You mentioned the Richardson line. Like one of the only names that my wife already recognizes like of the new faces on the team is Brad Richardson because of course he just had a, he had a, he's got a new baby, right. But his, but his, his girlfriend, I believe um, it was on gossip girl. So like oh. my wife, my wife is like, f- like has followed this, this actress, I guess. And had, you know, Easter now she's got uh what is it? Je- Jessica Soar, uh, Zor. I don't know how to say her name, but she is, <laughs> she, she was showing up in my wife's timeline with all kinds of Preds gear, like walking a baby around Nashville. And she was like, oh, I, I, so she comes to me and she's like, oh, so who's this Brad Richardson guy? And I was like, why is it that you know who the new fourth line center is for the Predators? What? He, I mean, the line's playing well, honey. I don't, what do you want me to tell you? Yes. Jessica Zor. S-Z-O-H-R. <laughs> it's just of all the new faces for my wife to know about. And I had no clue. I was like, I don't know who these people are dating. Like, I don't pay attention to tmz or whatever it's not my thing it's interesting how like you know hockey players are not the most famous athletes of course you know you know we think of basketball players and football players but hockey players clean up in the dating celebrities (laughs) department um you know i'm thinking of do we have to does that mean we have to talk about the split up between uh 
PK and Lindsay. And Lindsay Vaughn. Yeah, do we need to talk about that, or is that is that something our audience doesn't care about? I don't think our audience cares about that anymore. But we are talking. But like, okay. but like, <laughs> like Erin Andrews is is I, I think she's married to Jared Stoll, or was with Jared, or is in a re- long term relationship with Jared Stoll, who's no longer in the league but played for the Los Angeles Kings. And, and Brooks Like, who I covered when I was with the Washington Capitals, was uh, was. I believe married to um, God. What is her name? Uh, uh, Julianne Huff. Um, I, I am. I am absolutely garbage at remembering actors and actresses' names. I cannot tell you who they are. I have filled my brain with too much sports content. But it's interesting that hockey players, despite not being the most you know famous athletes outside of their sports circles, do do a good. Do, they do clean up in the dating celebrity department. Uh, you you haven't labeled you haven't mentioned a single A list celebrity that they've dated. Would I mean, you Aaron, Aaron Andrews? Aaron Andrews celebrity. Aaron Andrews is like a a a celebrity in like the sports media world, maybe. But she also does like Dancing with the Stars and like okay, okay. like other you know other stuff like that. Well, I mean, like would you consider Lindsey Vaughn an A list? Yeah, celebrity? yes that that is what that's what made I think that's what changed PK Subban. <laughs> frankly, is that he learned. Like I'm really, really famous for a hockey player. What about what about Mike Fisher and Carrie Underwood? That, that's that's a de- that's of course that's different. You know, that's that, that's, that's a list. That's you're absolutely right about that. You know, Dion Phaneuf was uh, Dion Phaneuf <laughs> is married to uh, Alicia Cuthbert, who's a oh I I lo- was it Girl Next Door? One of my favorite. Door was oh my god yes I love Alicia Cuthbert. Don't don't get yeah. me started on her. Um, I, I, it, what's funny is that like, I think PK started dating Lindsay and realized, Oh, this is what being famous is all about. <laughs> like, I yeah, think there was his, a, his there was another famous, tier there. His level of famousness. Definitely. Oh, like here's my favorite one, Brett Hedekin. So Brett Hedekin, former NHL player was a uh, played for the <laughs> Carolina hurricanes. Um, when Peter Laviolette was the coach there, he now uh, works uh, for the San Jose sharks broadcast team. He's married to Christy Yamaguchi. The uh, the Olympic. Figure. I, I know I know who that is. I don't know how many people under the age of thirty know who that is. Well, there's I, I'm, now I'm on like some website. I know you are. I can tell. I, I can I can tell you're digging up famous. Ho- I think you're right. Hockey players do all right with the ladies. I think that's a fair assessment. Um, yeah, but like it's but it's just interesting that like you know you look at you know like like Dwayne Wade is married to Gabrielle Union. You know, like she, I would consider her to be a, you know, a, a close to A-list celebrity. But, and you see, and you see it more in the football and basketball worlds. You know, like, was it Tristan? I don't know if Tristan Thompson was that ever is a, That's married. a bad example. <laughs> yeah, Tristan Thompson was never married to one of the, whichever Kardashian it was. No, like, Chris, hum- Chris Humphreys, right? Oh, Got Chris married. Humphreys was married yeah. to Kim Kardashian. Yeah. Um, so, sort of. Sort of. It, it, it was very brief. But yeah. anyway, and sidebar, but and, I, but, but like, I think it's, but it's, but it is interesting that hockey players do, I feel like they date up. Like, does that make, like, I feel like I, I know of- what you're, I, I know what you're trying to say. I, I think you need to do a little more digging on this story and compile a little bit more research and come up with more examples of PK Subban, Lindsey Vaughn. I think I need uh, Carrie Underwood is pretty darn good. You, you you almost win the argument with Mike Fisher <laughs> with, with Mike Fisher Carrie Underwood. You almost win the argument. Full stop. But I think I think you could do some more digging on this. I just think it's hilarious that you you bring up the best line of Predators hockey, and my wife walks into the room while I'm watching with my four year old on Monday, and she goes, 
She goes, oh, like, is that is that Brad Richardson? And I was like, what the hell? How the hell do you know? I thought you were going to say because she was such a Craig Smith fan and she saw the number 15. <laughs> right. She was, and was like, oh, who's that now? You know, like, that's what I thought you were going to say. Yeah. So I, I well, yes, that. 100%. Like, <laughs> I'm trying to think of, like, who who the other former numbers were. There's no number eight on the team right now. So, Well, Yakov Trenin hasn't played yet, but he actually switched his number to 13. Yeah. Because yep. Nick Benino's number. Um, so let, let's, let's end, end this weird discussion about Brad Richardson's, um, wife. Gr- yeah. Girlfriend, uh, you know, baby mama, whatever. Um, and congratulations to all the new fathers on the team, by the way, there feels like there's a bunch of them, Pekka and, and Hala and all these guys. Um, good for all of them. Um, yes, home second child is due shortly as is Roman Yossi's first child. Yes. And, and so, um, so congratulations to all and that. Matthew Shane, I think has a two month old now, like he, the second child is two months old. So yep. yeah. That babies everywhere. Lots of babies. Um, so I, I guess let's wrap up the sort of new faces conversation because we didn't really get to the end of that, that conversation where it appear, apparently the fourth line is the best line right now. The third line is the second best line. And and then you work your way up. I, I just quick thoughts. I, I actually, and both you could kind of lump Trennan at first and then Olivier, Olivier's had some really fun moments <laughs> on the ice. Um, but I thought the third line was, was, the group that sort of caught my eye, the Sissons, Grimaldi, Cousins line. Um, and I was going to ask you about the Johansson line in a second, but you can kind of include them as well because they're scoring and that's what we need to see them do. And and Forsberg in particular scoring with power, which is what we need to see him do. So I, I don't know if there's a, if there's sort of a, we can put a bow on the conversation of some of the new forwards in new places. And before we get to who's on the taxi squad and absent from the forward lineup. Well, I mean, I think I, I've been, you know, I, I think I've been impressed with the, the play uh, of the, the, the Sissons line with Cousins and Grimaldi. I mean, to me, they're that prototypical third line. They've got speed. They've got feistiness. They've got defensive IQ. Um, they all have, you know, some level of offensive upside. Um, you know, in the game uh, last night, you know, Cousins had this great chance off the rush that hit the pipe before the, the Hurricanes came down the other way and scored. Um, and, but uh, Grimaldi scored off the rush in, on Saturday um, as well, and Sissons too, um, it, on, in, the, in that third period on Saturday. Um, I, 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 of course, you know, Phillips Forsberg has scored in each game. That's great. You know, he scored in the first four games of last season too. Um, the thing with Phillip is always consistency. You know, he can score in three consecutive games, but is he now going to go on a five-game drought with no points and, and and disappear? You know, hopefully that won't be the case, you know, for the Predators, especially in the shortened season. He, he, he'll go he'll go 12 games without scoring a goal. Like He went the entire be, month of February last year without yeah. a goal, which is usually his month, February. You're, you're being you're being kind with the five-game thing. Um, <laughs> but but it is, you know, Arvidsson got on the board. I know it was like late, and it was a 3-1 game at the time on Monday night. But he still um, made it the game. I mean, it was yeah, still 3-2 yeah. with, with, with plenty of time left in the third period. No, no question. So the point is, is the top line has to do its job. And so far, they've done their job relatively well. We, so we've covered the goaltending, the defense, and the forward group. Um, before we get to who's on the taxi squad, which I do have a question about, which we were, we were wrong about, Yes, but, but we did talk about plenty. The last thing is just, is there anything from Monday night's loss to Carolina? They are a far more talented team than Columbus. They are a far more explosive team than Columbus. And they, they 
not only did they take the lead early, but they held on to the lead and won the game. So the outcome was different for two. Do you take anything from that on, on, on Monday, or is it just not enough data? Take that for data. Who said that? Was that, uh, which, which coach was that? David Fisdale. Take that for data. Big, big data. Yes. Big tech. (laughs) There you go. You haven't been censored by big tech. No. Um, but anyway, um, well, like Carolina and Columbus, as you said, are, are, are significantly different teams in, in terms of how they like to operate. You know, when I watch, when I watch Carolina, you know, I see, I, we, I think you definitely saw it last night. There was a lot of back and forth um, on the ice, um, chances up and down the ice for both teams. Um, but, you know, looking at their lineup, there are just so the Carolina lineup that is, there are so many highly talented young forwards like Aho and Svechnikov. And, you know, I forgot that Vincent Trocek played for the Hurricanes. You know, I forgot that Brady Shea played for them too, even though he's a defenseman, but I forgot that Trocek played for the Hurricanes. Um, he was actually, I think, I think Howla was, I think Hala was traded from, from Carolina to Florida in that deal that brought Trocek from Florida to Carolina. Um, if I recall correctly. Um, but when you look at the, the pecking order of the central division, I think we might have talked about this um, against Tampa and Carolina, just hold your own, you know, get as many points as you can try not to be embarrassed. Um, you know, against your, against Columbus and Florida and Dallas, you know, you need to win the majority of those games. Cause those are the teams that you're going to be battling against for playoff seating. And they did that by beating Columbus twice and then you're supposed to just kick the crap out of Detroit and Chicago, who are pretty terrible, um, especially Chicago. Chicago looks awful um, in the early going. I think I, I think I had the hot take on the show that Detroit was actually going to finish with a better record than Chicago. Uh, you know, so hopefully I'm. I think I think you did say so that. Hopefully last I'm. Week, hopefully I'm correct. Um, but it's there's still 50 plus games to go. Um, but you know. I would have been really interested to have seen what tonight's game would have been like Tuesday if there was a game. Um, but say la vie, uh, that game will have to wait. Um, but I, w- like, I would have been curious to see the adjustments that the Predators made. And I think it was Philip Forsberg who said it after the game on Monday that, you know, against Columbus, they didn't necessarily play their best, but they won. But he thought like they played their best game from an offensive standpoint against Carolina and they still lost, you know, and that's how hockey works sometimes. Yes. Yep, it's a strange anyway. game. So you want to talk about Ellie Tolvanen? Why? Why is Cole Smith huh. getting minutes? Cole Smith. <laughs> I know that's a. I know that. I know that's a bad answer because fourth line. I get it. But but why is it just because Halla and Cunning have been good enough in camp and practice for John Hines to to say that's my top six, and there's just no space for you right now, or or what's behind the decision making process to have? Tolvin in on the the the, the cash well, I mean, cap. Cole in the cash Smith cap. had a, a good camp. I mean, he he earned his opportunity to play in the in the season opener, which was his NHL debut. And it's funny, you know, I, I reached out, um, I reached out to a reporter uh, for the Grand Forks Herald in North Dakota who covers the University of North Dakota, Brad Elliott Schlossman, um, and he was telling me about Cole Smith, and apparently. They have the, the UND hockey team has an Ironman competition. Like, I, I don't know what it entails necessarily, but apparently Cole Smith won three of the four years he was there. Apparently he's like a physical <laughs> freak and he's a big, he's a big guy, you know, yeah, it's like yeah, six, four, guy. you know, 
he only played like six minutes though on Thursday and then went back to the taxi squad. Um, but look, I think we might've talked about this before um, with Ellie Tolvanen, you know, Ellie Tolvanen is not a Colton Sissons, Cali Yarncroke type that, you know, they can play in the top six, if, excuse me, they can play in the top six if needed, but you know, you can put them in the third or fourth line role as Sissons and Yarncroke currently are, and they can still contribute. You know, Ellie Tolvanen is not an effective, going to be an effective player on the third line or a fourth line. Like, he is a player who needs a top six environment to thrive. And right now, there are no openings in the top six. You know, he's going to have to wait his turn, and it might be a while. Um, but, you know, I, I, the, the makeup of the, of the taxi squad, you know, was something that was important to the team, as I'm sure it was for every team, but as speaking to the Predators – you know, the original taxi squad, which has been changed many times over the past week, you had Alex Carrier. So you had your, you had the extra defenseman who added a different element than Borbietsky and Benning and Tenorti, more of a, a, a slick puck moving type defenseman, um, specifically more so Borbietsky and Tenorti since Benning is also a puck mover. Um, you have Olivier who, you know, who's the nasty bastard, you know, the, the, the rugged fourth line type who hits and, and gets in people's faces. You know, Cole Smith, who, you know, has a similar role to Olivier, perhaps not as in your face, but another big body. And then Tolvanen, who's the skill guy, you know, so you have a little bit of everything. You know, Tolvanen is going to get his opportunity. I don't know when it's going to be, um, but I, I was I was not entirely surprised to see him on the taxi squad when when it came out. Yeah, I know we talked about it sort of him being like in in one of the 23, but we definitely had a number of conversations about does it benefit him to be on the taxi squad or, or not? And, and even if he's not playing well, does it benefit him to be on the active roster or whatever? And this was prior to the AHL getting, you know, opting out or whatever. We even had that conversation. So I just think it's, it is interesting. It is of note. It also means that what we're seeing out of Cunning and Hala, which has been pretty productive, energetic hockey. Um, Duchesne, I think has played with a renewed sense of energy. They have not, their, their metrics don't bore, don't bear that out. But I think you can see sort of some some extra juice there with Duchesne as well. It, it's there, like you said, there's not a lot of space for him, so it's going to be something to keep an eye on. Uh, there, there's no question about that. I will say this: as far as this show goes, when we come out every Wednesday and have a chunk of games to talk about, and then look ahead for a chunk of games, if you play three games in between podcasts and you go two and one, you're probably going to make the playoffs. Probably. So in that sense, hard not to look at the first three and say, "All right." Keep it going. Get your four points and take your two and one record and move along. Um, now there will be three more games, unless you've got anything. Oh, we've got to talk about the new addition. I can't even say his name. Lucas Pisa. Lucas Pisa. What? Why did that happen? <laughs> I mean, you know, we we hear so much about the importance of depth. And look, Lucas Pisa. He's a you know he's a thirty year old veteran who's played close to six hundred games in the NHL. Um. I think he was technically born in Italy, but I think he must consider himself Swiss because like him and Roman go back, you know, with Yannick Weber no longer on the team there, there was a requisite friend of Roman <laughs> Yossi spot available um, on the roster. You know, they've known each other since, you know, they were kids. So with Yannick gone, they needed someone to fill that role. So in comes Lucas Pisa. Um, so perhaps that's why they signed them. Cause you got, you know, he got the, they got, he got the friend of the captain contract. Uh, let, let me ask no. you this. Let me ask you this. Can you put the friend of the captain on the, the cash cab though? 
Can't he you put them in the cash under, cap? Well, because he was claimed off of waivers, he had to go immediately to the active roster. Right. If they want to put him on the taxi squad, he'll have to go through waivers again. Can Can you real quickly tell everybody the like logistically, physically, that basically the taxi squad is still kind of a part of the team, like every day of practice. Like, like, like it's not yeah. any different. Like they're just not on the active roster that night. Exactly. Like they're they're still around the team. They're still going through all of the testing protocols. Um, they're available, you know, that's why the taxi squad exists because, you know, I, 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 you know, for my most recent mailbag that published on Monday, somebody asked me about, you know, how the AHL recall situation works this season. And it's the same as it was, you know, un, under normal circumstances, players can be recalled from the AHL. The issue is that those players are subject to the COVID-19 protocol, which means they might not be immediately available versus a normal season where you can just plunk them into your lineup. So that's why the taxi squad is there so that those players can be readily available to you because they're undergoing the same testing regimen as the players on the active roster. Um, so look, Spiza is your run of the mill depth defenseman. He's physical. You know, he doesn't really move the needle either way. You know, he's not known for his offense. You know, he, he, you know, he, He's a he's a like a poor man's Borvietsky, I, I think, um, in terms of his physicality and ability to play defense. Um, so, you know, a player like that can sit for long stretches and not play and be fine versus like an Alex Carrier who would not benefit from being scratched all the time. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I don't mind it from that perspective. Like if it's just, if Spies is not going to be in the lineup regularly and he's just there as extra depth. Like at the, as th- at thirty years old, he can handle that. Like yep. he's not his growth is not being stunted <laughs> by, by not playing. Well, uh, glad we figured out and got to the bottom of why he was brought onto the team because Roman Yossi needs a Swiss friend. That's that's it, there, it's 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 a prerequisite that there has to be at least okay. one friend of Roman childhood friend of Roman Yossi on the <laughs> roster. And so Yannick uh, Weber's gone. Lucas Fees is in. There you go. Uh, we solved the problem. Uh, yeah. All right, let's 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 glance ahead before we, we talk with you guys coming up next weekend. By the way, their next week there will be announcement on the show next week. So make sure you're, you're tuned in. Obviously, if you're listening to this point of the show, you are listening next week as well. And we do appreciate you guys. So make sure you're rating, reviewing, subscribing, sharing. Tell everybody about the show. We do appreciate it. You can obviously subscribe to Great Journalism at theathletic.com. You can follow us on Twitter, all that great stuff. 440 sports, all that good stuff. Facebook, Twitter, whatever. Um, Dallas, Dallas on the road. The first time they're traveling. Dallas has not played a game yet, so we don't really know a whole lot about the team other than the big injuries. And then, of course, a couple with Chicago uh, in, in uh, next week to to early get things started. Uh, what do you want to see out of the team? What are you looking for in these matchups? Well, I would I would certainly like to see them play similarly as they did against the blue jackets, not to say they played bad against the hurricanes, but you know, I like more of what I saw against the blue jackets, of course. Um, so I would like to see a continuation of that. Also the fact that the stars haven't played a game. Um, so, you know, they've been practicing, um, but I would like to see the predators take advantage of the fact that they've at least played three games. Um, also, you know, there is no love lost between these two teams. I mean, when you think of the, the big games that these teams have played against each other over the past few seasons, you know, to me, this has developed into the preeminent Predators rivalry. Um, so it would be a good statement right off the bat if you're the Predators to, to win. I mean, preferably both games, but at least to win that first one and, and, and get the ball rolling 
in that rivalry for this season. Um, so that's what I would like to see. Um, and then I believe you said Chicago's coming up on the other end. Chicago stinks. Okay. They're, <laughs> they're, they're not good. Um, so um, you should kick the crap out of them if you're the Predators. <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's what I would, that's what I would expect to see. But then again, what we expect and what actually happens sometimes never. Yes. Yep. Uh, so I, I would assume that with a Friday Sunday at Dallas, obviously Ryan Ellis is going to be one to watch, of course, uh, considering what happened in in the the the, uh, the New Year's. But Corey game. Perry is gone, so he not, is, but it's not the same. Yeah, I, I I still think you can you can get some some PTSD looking at the logo on the other team and Maybe. and get a little fired up. But here's the question, because obviously they'll play Tuesday, Wednesday against Chicago. So I assume you're you're getting a start there from Pekka. We talked about UC getting a, a higher usage rate as the starter. Do you want to see UC Staro start Friday, Sunday, because there's a day off against Dallas, both games, or do you expect John Hines to go with Rena in one of those two games? I would like I would like UC to start both games with the day in between. And, and look, if if it, I don't want, I don't think rather that Pekka should only be confined to the the back to backs and play one of those two games and end up with 10 starts on the season. Um, but as John Hines said, their main priority is to play the guy who is going to help them win games. And I didn't think Pekka was bad on Monday. I thought he made some tremendous saves. Um, but I think UC played really well in the first two games. And if he continues to play that well, then he needs yeah. to be the goalie who's playing. So I think he should start on Friday. And if he plays well, you start him again on Sunday. Well, if you think about it, 40 games for UC and 16 for Pekka, that's not too far off from 62 and 20, right? But, I, but like, I, I like in a normal season, I wouldn't have expected UC to start 62 games. I would have started like in an 82 game season, I would have expected maybe 45 to 50 for UC. Um, even, even if you're asking him to, to do more of the, the work and you want yeah, to see I, him carry I, more of the load. Like, there are a few goaltenders who play 60 games in a year. I mean, like the real workhorse goalies, they don't really exist in the same way anymore. Like, you know, pack of what, four years ago, played like 67 games and like Carter Hutton got the other 15. Like that's not what's going to happen. Like unless you're Carey Price or Connor Hellebuck, you know, you're not playing three quarters of your team's games anymore. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I agree. I just think there's the, the two to the, the three to one ratio, you know, 60 and 22 is not all that uncommon for a starting goaltender, right? Like I'm not saying 67 games, but 58, 59, 60 Pekka was in that range for like five or six straight years. Yes. So, so I, if you're asking Saros to be more of that, you know, I, that's probably, you know, 38 games this year. Out, out of 56, you know, well, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to do the math at the top of my head here, but like, that's about, that's about right. I mean, yeah, I mean, Rene starts have been going down. His career high was seven. He started 73 games in 2011, which is just insane to think that's about. Um, but since 2014, 15, he started 64 games, 66 games, 61 games, 59 games, 56 games, and 36 games last year. So he's been going down. Yeah. yeah. But, past several years so 
Well, anything anything you'd like to add to the show tonight? We do appreciate it. Socially distanced, Adam Bingen from the Athletic, of course. You can follow all his work there and no, good, I, uh, good journalism. I think I, we've I think we've worn out the first three games. I think we've yeah. Done I think we're and you know if anybody has any other A list celebrities dating hockey players, married <laughs> to hockey players that I'm unaware of, please let me know. Um, you know, I, I want to win this argument. Um, so. <laughs> Glad to know you're focused on the your energy on the right things. Hockey players, they're just like us. I love. I will say. I will leave the listeners with one funny story about this before we leave. So, as I mentioned earlier uh, in the show, uh, when I was covering the Capitals, Brooks Lake, who has since retired, was start was in the was starting to date Julianne Huff. They have since split up. Um, but I'm sure, perhaps some of our listeners like. Us Weekly and People Magazine and things of that nature. Are you? It sounds like you are sort of a big reader of the uh, celebrity gossip, Max. I used to enjoy. I, I mean, I used to watch some E back in the day. I didn't do so much reading as I did like watching E or Perez. <laughs> remember, like per, Perez Hilton. Like I, I paid attention <laughs> to that kind of stuff. Anyway, so in the uh, uh, celebrities, they're just like a section of whichever magazine where they have the the paparazzi p- pictures of, you know. Here, here's so-and-so grocery shopping. Here's so-and-so on a walk with their kid. Here's so-and-so at a concert. They had, they had a picture of Julianne Huff out somewhere. And it was clear that Brooks like was in the picture, but he was cropped out. And, and like, and Troy Brower, uh, who was on the team at the time, like sent a screenshot of the picture of Julianne uh, with like Brooks leg in the picture, but that was the only part of him that that was in the picture and like sent it to him on Twitter and was like, well, Brooksy, you're already, you know, this is what you, this is what you're signing up for. You've already been cropped out of the picture or something like that. Cause it was just his leg in the background, which I thought was fun. Maybe, well, was- maybe, maybe if he was a basketball player, he would have gotten in the picture. Yes, maybe. But <laughs> such was life. Hockey players outpunch their weight. New story coming from Adam Vingan on yes. the athletic. That's the kind of journalism you can expect from the athletic. Adam, where can people find you? At The Athletic, you already told them. And on the socials? At Ivan Bingham. That's right. You can follow me, Braden Gall, at Braden Gall. Thank you all for listening. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Share the show with somebody, just one person. Tell one of your friends that you enjoyed the program or that you hate it, whatever. Just tell somebody to go listen. That's all we ask. And please actually do rate, review, and subscribe. I know we say that all the time, but it actually does matter. It helps boost the show up and then more people can find it. And then we can do more cool stuff like make special announcements next week on the show for you guys, Nashville Predators audience and fans. For Adam, my name is Braden. Thank you guys for listening. This has been the Gold Standard on the 440 Sports Network.